Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today is still a day of grace. God is calling sinners unto repentance and living faith. May we open the door of our heart. Stay tuned to the Echoes of Mercy broadcast brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Today for a meditation we turn to the second book of Kings, and we will read from the fifth chapter, a rather lengthy text here, and we will deal with this portion of scripture as time allows us to do this morning with the central theme and thought, if we might be able by God's grace to pick out the central matter of what is being dealt with in this portion of God's Word. We read beginning with the first verse of that fifth chapter, and we read through the fourteenth in Jesus' name. Now Naaman was captain of the host of the king of Syria, and he was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. She waited on Naaman's wife. She said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid, that is, of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass that when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send me unto me to recover a man of leprosy? Wherefore consider I, I pray you, and send, and seek how he see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses 
and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not the Abana and Farfar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So then so he turned and went away in a rage, and his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then when he said to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Amen. You see that so many of the accounts in the Old Testament are written in so lengthy matter, matter that it takes up so much time to touch upon all the little matters that we might say along the way. So may God grant us the the central thought, as we have already sought for, that he would, that we might understand the message of the Lord that he wants to speak unto us today. It begins here by telling us of a man who was the captain of the host of the king of Syria, and he was a great man with his master, and honorable, but because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. We see that this was the, he had a high and a noble office, but there was one sad drawback, that he was a leper. We see that always true that in the Old Testament, when we read of the accounts of God healing, or Christ healing these lepers, lepers he is, is used here as a kind of a, it illustrates the very nature of sin and how it cannot be healed by any human means. We see that the lepers of that time were doomed to live a life separated from society as a rule. But uh, yet we know that it was only through the intervention from heaven that this disease could be uh, healed, and so it was also, and so it portrays a matter that is a spiritual one as we consider each one of us as human beings, we all are in a sense, we are lepers, and all of us need the heavenly cleansing that God alone is only able to provide unto us. And so this great man, it tells us here, he was a leper. And uh, it so happened that there was a there was a little maid 
that waited on Naaman's wife, and she was a captive of the land of Israel. And uh, she was acquainted with her people. And we notice the great love in the heart of this little girl for her master. It uh, surely was a true Christian love that she had for Naaman. She did not look at her plight. She was a captive. She was far from her home people. And yet she did not judge or condemn the people that had taken her captive. She wished every good thing even for her Lord as, as he, she calls her master. And she felt sorry. She had compassion for Naaman that he had this leprosy. And therefore she made known that if it was possible that this man, Naaman her Lord, were in the, with the prophet that is in Samaria, that he would recover him of his leprosy. And when this word got to the ears of Naaman, why, immediately the plans were drawn up that he should go to that place where he might receive that healing. Oh, might it be so in the world today that when men come to the realization, when man comes to the realization that he is a sinner like we all are, and we all need that cleansing, that man might be just as eager as Naaman even to find that spiritual help. We are by nature such that if we have some physical ailment, we are concerned about it and we will do everything in order that we might be recovered from that. But the reason why man is so slow to accept the news that there is forgiveness for their sins is because the enemy of the soul desires that they should perish. And so man will delay and delay and procrastinate until the time of grace has come to an end. And so, but now we see in this case, immediately the plans were made that the king of Israel, that Naaman was to go to, to uh, see this prophet Elisha. But first, the diplomatic matters had to be taken care of. And when the king of Israel got the message of this man coming there, he was filled with wrath, and he said that all that they want to do now is to make a quarrel with, with him. That who am I? Am I God to kill and to make alive? And so forth. And why does this man come to me to, to recover him of his leprosy? And so we see that when the word came unto uh, Elisha, the man of God, that the king of Israel had dealt so and rent his clothes and sent, uh, he sent to the king saying wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel we <clears throat> see that this man of God Elisha knew that God was with him and he did not look for his own honor and glory he didn't say like perhaps even maybe a man in the medical profession might hold such a, an opinion disregarding the, 
the gifts that God gives unto men, a man might say that, why don't you send this person to me to show who I am, but and how I can heal, how I can care for this particular type of a patient. But we notice how the Spirit of God humbles a man, and Elisha did not seek for his own glory, but we notice here that he sought only that the name of the God might be prophet, that the name of God might be glorified, and that God has a prophet in Israel yet. And so that we see it has always been that the men of God in the Old Testament time even, we remember Elijah when he prayed, and uh, when the fire, when the question was as to who is the true God, and he prayed unto God that the God would make himself known by sending the fire to consume the sacrifice, as we remember as he dealt with the prophets of Baal. He did not pray that God, that they would see that, that Elijah is some great man, but that the name of the Lord would be glorified. And so it's good that we also, as the as God's children, as we labor here and as we deal with spiritual matters even, that we might always humble ourselves to remember that the gifts that God gives unto us and all things that he giveth, they are from the hand of God, and therefore no man has a right to glory in these things. And so this is the attitude he had. And he tells us here that Naaman came with his horses and his chariot and stood by the door of the house of, of Elisha. And now we notice something that is so contrary to reason actually took place, that instead of Elisha going out to speak unto this man, uh, unto this man Naaman, why it says that Elisha sent a messenger him, to him saying, and go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. We see again the pride of Naaman. He desired to be healed, but he wanted, of course, to cling to his pride. He was a great, prominent man, captain of the host of the king of Syria. And he had expected that when he goes to the door of the house of Elisha, that uh, he would, he would uh, himself appear there, and that he would come to address Naaman. But it was such a blow to Naaman's pride that Elisha, who, whose name means Christ, and they uh, say he is a picture here of Christ, that he merely sends a messenger and tells him to go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. So we see that it is today even, that when our Lord has given the office of the keys as we, of the kingdom to the children of God, when God gave them unto the disciples, when Christ left him with the disciples when he arose from the dead. He told his disciples when he appeared 
behind the closed doors on Easter night, he said unto his disciples, that peace be unto you. As the Father hath sent me, so also send I you. And he breathed upon them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, that whosoever sins remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. And in another, in another place he says unto Peter, that I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that whatsoever you shall loose upon the earth shall be loosed in heaven, and whatsoever you bind upon the earth shall be bound in heaven. Meaning that God uses his ministry here to bring the message of salvation. And so Christ rules yet in his kingdom through the Christian ministry and through his spiritual ministry, for we notice that he gave, he breathed upon and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So we see that Christ sets forth the, the essential nature of having the Holy Spirit of God. And then unto those he has given the office that we already spoke of. But this great man was filled with wrath, and he said, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. And then when, when the servant of the Lord had told this man that he was to go and wash seven times in the river Jordan, it was a terrible blow to the pride of Naaman for the Jordan River is known to be a muddy river. The water appears to be unclean, but when he thought of the rivers that were in Damascus, Abana, far, 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 the rivers of Damascus, uh, we know that their waters were clear. They were beautiful streams. And he felt that it would be, may I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned away in a rage. We see how man wants to receive something from God, but he does not want to obey the will of God because it is contrary to his reason. The children of Israel, we notice that when Moses said that they were to take the uh, the blood of a lamb without spot and without blemish, but a sprinkle upon the doorpost and the lintels of their homes so that the angel of death would not visit those homes. How much reason was there in this? Moses was a man of great uh, intellect and he was a highly educated man, but we see that he believed. And this is the key matter to all of this, because it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. And so Naaman, when he heard what he ought to do, he refused, as it were, because his reason told him that the rivers in his own land were much more pure and much more able to cleanse. And uh, we notice that the servants of uh, <coughs> This man, Naaman, came and tried to humble him. 
And he says, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he said to thee, Wash and be clean. Now we notice that if we could do some great thing for God, that we might be cleansed. If we could, say, give $10,000 and be saved, why, man would by all means try and struggle and uh, do something that would be so glorious in the eyes of men that they'd always remember him. If a man is offered salvation of his soul, if he donates so and so much money for the church project, some project there, perhaps if he donates the land for the church, that man would be offered salvation on that basis. Well, he would be always ready to do so. But we see to believe so simply as it was, contrary to reason, that if he washed in that river Jordan, that he would be clean. There was the stumbling block for this proud man, and this is the way the pride of man is yet today, that when God's children, when God's children speak unto the needy soul, when we call upon the people of this generation to realize that God still has his people here upon this earth, not by our choice, but by his choice. And he has left this office that we spoke of already, where the troubled sinner can be comforted with the forgiveness of his sins and believe them forgiven in Jesus' name and shed atoning blood, that comfort that we have received. So many of us as have come from the ways of the prodigal son or daughter, and we have come as lost sinners into the midst of God's congregation among God's children and began to ask if God's forgiveness belongs to a sinner like me. And God's children have in obedience then to that office as servants of the Lord, as faithful servants, not assuming themselves to be anything but servants, have embraced us and declared unto us that precious gospel of forgiveness in Jesus' name and shed atoning blood. We see that to this world it is still an impossibility because they say, like the Pharisee of old, let's remember it was the Pharisee of old that said this, that who can forgive sins but God? They look for a more noble way to be reconciled unto God, and they will not listen and therefore they go away empty. But that troubled person who, who has been able by whom God has humbled so and made so poor and so helpless, he will receive anything that God offers unto him. And how many have gone rejoicing when they humbled themselves beneath the mighty hand of God and did that which was the will of God. And there we have in our own hearts a testimony of this. And finally this man overcame by the grace of God that pride that kept him from becoming clean. And uh, therefore the servant said, How much rather when he says to thee, Wash and be clean. 
And he tells us he dipped himself into the Jordan seven times, and he was clean. It says he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came like unto the flesh of a child, and he was clean. Now somebody would say that, well, what happened when he dipped himself the first time? Nothing happened, did it? nor the second, nor the third, or the fourth, or the fifth, or even the sixth time that he dipped himself. You see, God tries his patience there, that God said seven times, and that meant seven, and he was clean. May God give unto us the heart that is willing to trust in God's way and God's plan of salvation so that we might be cleansed and washed of our cleansed of our sins and washed in that crimson tide of the blood of Jesus as it is sprinkled upon the fallen sinner through the medium of the gospel so that we also like Naaman can be clean washed of our sins and rejoice in the hope of eternal life coming to know that our sins have been washed away and cast in the sea of grace, never to be remembered by God, and that God truly then becomes our Father. We have a relationship that close that we worship him with prayer, praise, and thanksgiving, and we have a living hope of eternal life based not on our own works or our own reason but a hope that is based upon better things than man can provide, a living hope that is in Christ Jesus in his redemptive work. Under that end, may God bless his holy word. Amen. And now the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee everlasting peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. God has reached you through his word today. 
Will you make room in your heart for him? God loves you. He wants to bring you joy and peace in the Lord. This program is brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association and made possible through your prayers and financial support. As God has blessed you, please remember this ministry. If you would like a tape of this message, please refer to it by the date of broadcast. Send your request to Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Our mailing address again is Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today is still a day of grace. God is calling sinners unto repentance and living faith. May we open the door of our heart. Stay tuned to the Echoes of Mercy broadcast brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Psalm 107. This is Pastor Elvin Holmgren. I serve in the ministry of the Apostolic Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, and our God, we give thee our most heartfelt thanks for the multitude of thy mercies, which thou hast so graciously showered upon us through thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that we may ever be mindful of all of the gifts which thou hast given. And most of all, we thank thee for the gift of thy love and for the priceless gift of thy Son, Jesus Christ, whom thou didst send into the world for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins through him, for our deliverance by his power from the dominion of death and the devil, and for the promise of everlasting life. Grant, O Lord, that our spirits may be lifted up to Thee in thanksgiving, and that we may love Thee with all of our hearts. And as Thou didst first love us, so let us love Thee and Thy Word. Teach us to set Thee always before us, and to walk as obedient children. Look in mercy upon our nation, and give the spirit of wisdom and understanding to those who bear the responsibility of government. Upon all of our homes, may thy love descend and grant thy blessing that our children may be reared in thankful devotion to thee and 
that they may walk in the light of thy word all the days of their lives. Bless these moments of fellowship also today as we share together the teachings of thy holy word. Let thy spirit enlighten us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Reading from the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. These words form the kernel, yes, the very marrow of this sermon, which the Apostle Paul preached at Antioch, where he and Barnabas stopped on their first missionary journey. Antioch was a military center and was also known as Caesarea by the Romans. This Antioch is to be distinguished from another city by the same name, which was often referred to as the Syrian Antioch. The Antioch in question, which was located in Pisidia, had a Jewish synagogue, and it was there that the apostles went to worship. Believers, the followers of Christ, were scattered as a result of the persecution of Stephen, the man who was stoned to death because of his faith. Stephen is often called the first adult Christian martyr, and the scripture states that those who did the stoning of this man laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. This Saul is the same man whose sermon forms the basis for our meditation. Stephen was one of the many martyrs in whose death Saul was instrumental and to which he gave his support and encouragement. For this was his manner of life before he became a disciple of Jesus Christ. This terrible persecution resulted in some of the Christians traveling as far as Antioch, preaching the word of God to the Jews. The hand of the Lord was with them, and great numbers of people believed and turned to the Lord. When news of this spiritual awakening reached the church at Jerusalem, the elders there sent a man named Barnabas to Antioch. When Barnabas saw the effects of this work, he was glad, and he exhorted the believers to cleave to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, a man of faith, and was filled with the Holy Ghost. 
During his presence there, many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas decided to go in search of Paul, and when he had located him, they went together to Antioch, and they spent an entire year with the believers there. This same biblical record, the Acts of the Apostles, tells us that the believers were first called Christians at Antioch. This is an interesting fact because it shows the origin of this usage in reference to the followers of Jesus, the twelve, as well as the seventy who were sent out by Jesus, were known as disciples, and generally we still refer to the twelve as the apostles. The word disciple means a pupil or a learner, and the word apostle means a messenger, one who is sent. In the early period, there seemed to be some special distinction between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. But at Antioch, both became known as Christians. They took their denomination, if we can use that more current word, not from the name of his person, Jesus, but from his office, Christ, meaning the anointed. It has been said that in this way they put their creed into their name, that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed. It is also true that the enemies of the Christians turned this name to their reproach and imputed it to them as though it were evil, some kind of a crime. But I believe that true believers continue today to glory in this name Christian. A Christian is dependent on Christ, and we need always recognize that Christ has promised his abiding presence in our lives until their very end. As he said to his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. But the benefits of being a Christian do not end with this life as do our national citizenships. As Americans, for example, we can be proud of our heritage when we consider that the purpose for the founding of our country was the freedom to worship God and the other freedoms which have also been acquired and preserved at great personal sacrifice on the part of so many who have gone before us. A patriotic spirit is to be commended. We need be thankful for this citizenship, whether it is by birth or has been acquired through the processes provided in our Constitution. But the significance of our being known as Christians far exceeds the most coveted national citizenship. In the first place, it is the highest honor to be called by the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is an honor of which we are not worthy to think that the Son of the Eternal God identifies with us who are the descendants of the fallen man, Adam, 
and honors us with the name of uh, a Christian. When I consider this relationship as it pertains to me, I can relate to what the centurion in Capernaum said to Jesus during his discussion with the Lord regarding the healing of his servant. When the centurion asked Jesus for this favor, Jesus offered to come to his house. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. And so must I also say, Lord, I am not worthy in myself to carry the name of a Christian. In this regard, we realize that it is also a privilege to be included among those who are known as Christians. And with this privilege, the responsibility it also entails. Surely, we ought not to do anything that would bring reproach to the worthy name by which we are called. This means not only worthy conduct, as it pertains to Christ himself, but in our relationships to others, both in and out of the Christian faith. In saying this, I do not intend to portray Christ as an impossible taskmaster who exacts a type of obedience which we are unable to perform. Though it is our desire to follow in the footsteps of our Lord, we often misstep and err. The proverb states that a just man falls seven times, but he rises again. We remember that the Lord extended Peter's limit on forgiveness to his brother from the suggested seven times to seventy times seven. If we do not know God as he is in his relationship of grace to the penitent sinner, we may prepare a feast for Satan through our despondency over our many imperfections. There is nothing Satan would want more for us as Christians to do than to despair of the grace of God and to fall into utter hopelessness. Let us always remember that the promise of God's word is still this. And I'm quoting from the writings of St. John. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, after this rather lengthy introduction to our text, let us get back to the content of Paul's sermon in Antioch, in which, according to his frequent custom, he briefly reviewed Jewish history, bringing his hearers up to the point in their history when their Savior came into this world. He reminded them that Jesus came 
through the seed of David, and that he was truly the Savior whom their God had sent into the world. Then he directly addressed his peers with these words, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you fears God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Paul made a direct appeal to his own people for their acceptance of Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah and urged everyone who fears God to recognize that herein is offered to them the word of salvation. In referring to the death of Jesus, Paul allowed for the ignorance of their rulers, stating that because they did not know him, that is Jesus, nor the voices of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath day, they fulfilled the prophecies concerning the condemnation and the death of Jesus. He heralded the truth that it was God who raised him from the dead in fulfillment of prophetical writings. Then, after having established that these things which he was telling them were according to prophecy, he made this bold statement to them. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. This is the key to our salvation. By that I mean the forgiveness of sins. Without forgiveness, we can never have a right relationship with God. Unbelief, which is the mother of all sin, caused the initial disobedience and downfall of God's first two people, Adam and Eve. And we bear the direct result of this act to this very day. Unbelief and our consequent sin separate us from God. Unbelief must be driven out of the heart so that faith in the redemptive work of the Savior might bring us the benefits of his ministry, of his life of service, and of his redemptive work. For its benefits lie in the removal of our sin debt through his atoning sacrifice and the cleansing in his blood. The Bible stipulates the necessity for a blood sacrifice in order to take away sin. It is written in the Hebrews epistle that all things are by the law purged or cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. When the Apostle Peter spoke in Jerusalem, he gave glory to Jesus by saying, Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him 
does this man stand here before you whole? This is the stone which was set at naught by you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is why we, in the Christian faith, preach Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation. For there is but one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Paul's second basic principle is brought out clearly in the second verse of our text when he makes the statement, And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. In examining this verse, we conclude that the reference is to how we become righteous when he says justified. In following the apostles' intent in this message, we could paraphrase it in this way. By him, all that believe become righteous in all things through which you could not become righteous through the law of Moses, that is, the Ten Commandment law. This law, given as God's first covenant, was an impossible means of salvation, even though it contained the promise that the person who fulfilled its requirements would obtain life and salvation through it. The problem with this first covenant was not in the covenant itself, but in the people to whom it was given. The fault with this covenant continues to lie in those to whom it was given, in us, yes, in you and in me, because we are totally incapable of fulfilling it, no mortal, no, not one, is capable of observing its total requirements. Remember the often quoted and basic biblical statement that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one who is righteous, no, not one. The ministry of Jesus Christ was a more excellent and perfect ministry. He thus became the mediator of the new covenant, which was a better covenant by reason of the fact that it was established upon a different foundation and upon a better promise. Simply speaking, I mean to say that salvation does not rest in our hands and in our ability to perform a certain set of rules incorporated in this law, but it rests upon faith in the perfect work of the Son of God himself, who fulfilled it in its entirety, not only in the letter, but in the Spirit. Though he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet he was without sin.
he who lived a sinless life died as a condemned and guilty sinner because he took our place. He took our sin and our guilt. He took our faults. He endured our death and experienced our condemnation. Although he died, he was not held in the grip of death, but rose on the third day for our justification, that is, uh, for our salvation. And so, my friends, that is why I cannot preach any other gospel unto you than that which I have received, by which you also are saved, if you keep in mind what has been spoken unto you, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Be it known unto you, therefore, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The conclusion to Paul's sermon sounded a word of warning to his own nation. He quoted statements written by both prophet Isaiah and prophet Habakkuk, warning of the punishment or judgment which would come upon those who would not believe and accept the word of salvation which is declared unto them. As a closing thought, we can ask, what is the punishment or judgment that will come upon those who do not heed the call of the gospel? The Bible speaks of it as being condemnation. Jesus said that he that does not believe is condemned because of his unbelief. The word condemn means to declare the guilt of an individual, to pronounce guilty, to convict of guilt, and to sentence to punishment, to doom. The punishment or condemnation for unbelief is separation from God. It is exclusion from His presence, not briefly for a tolerable period of time, but forever, eternally. That is why the matter of salvation should be regarded seriously, as the author of the Hebrews letter does when he states, that we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should drift away from them. Salvation should always be spoken of in the present tense as a matter of concern for today and not to be put off until tomorrow. No doubt there are many lost souls whose intention it was to avail themselves of God's plan at a later date at a more acceptable and opportune time. But, my friend, today is the day of salvation. Amen. And now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Dear friend, perhaps God has reached you through his word today. Will you make room in your heart for him? God loves you. He wants to bring you joy and peace in the Lord. This program is brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association and made possible through your prayers and financial support. As God has blessed you, please remember this ministry. If you would like a tape of this message, please refer to it by the date of broadcast. Send your request to Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Our mailing address again is Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Thank you for your prayers and financial support.